to each of you here in the room, and certainly good morning to those of you who are worshiping with us online. So glad that you've taken this opportunity to, to be with us today and to experience worship together as we continue in our worship series, Define Reality, Offer Hope. This series is rooted in a fundamental leadership principle in that a good leader should define reality. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't make it more or less than it is. Don't massage it. Don't use it as a point of leverage or manipulation. Define reality accurately and effectively. And offer hope. Not Pollyannish, pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking, but an anticipated expectation of what is to come. You know, hope has an energy that arouses the heart and mind to do everything possible to explore all possibilities for how to embrace the future. Define reality, offer hope. Now, last week, we were introduced to the Apostle Paul, who was one of the most prolific first-century church planters and authors. He's credited with, with planting roughly 15 churches. And in his communication with not only the churches he was connected to, but other churches, his writings offered insight, it offered correction, it offered encouragement. It offered good theology. And these letters, th these correspondence that he had, it, they were so widely circulated and accepted that they eventually became part of our Bible, making up roughly half of the New Testament. Now, last week we were in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a letter he wrote from prison, a letter in which he was pouring out his heart, in which he was offering clarity and encouragement as to not only how we live the Christian life, but how we do it as a matter of faith and practice. Now today we're going to be in Paul's letter to the Romans. What's interesting about this letter is he is writing it to a church to which he has no connection. He had nothing to do with its founding, with its beginnings. He's had no personal contact with anyone there. Yet Romans is widely regarded as a masterpiece of theology and spiritual vision. So if you have your, your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Romans. We're in the 8th chapter. We're going to read verses 22 through 27. Romans 8, beginning with verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. 
we know that the whole of creation has been groaning. That's the defined reality that Paul is sharing. It certainly fits the reality we find ourselves in. I mean, think about the many ways that all of creation groans today. I mean, we're in the midst of a global pandemic whose worldwide cases have now topped 20 million. And life is not normal. I mean, look at the way that we are worshiping today. This isn't the norm. Many colleges and universities resumed classes this past week. So this first week of classes for those students was not the norm. This year is not going to be normal for them. And I think about the many parents who were juggling jobs alongside of preschoolers and and elementary age children and middle schoolers and high schoolers as plans are being made for instruction to resume. Teachers and administrators and parents and students are gearing up for something that's not normal. Businesses have closed. People have lost their jobs. The groaning of this pandemic is real. What about the political groanings in our country? You know, over the past 15 to 20 years, that, that middle ground that, that seemed to occupy the, the majority of perspectives, that, that middle ground where there seemed to be more understanding and more listening and, and more willingness to get things done, that, that middle ground over the past 15 to 20 years has become smaller and smaller as as people have moved to the extremes of, of their beliefs and, and those poles have become further and further apart to where that, that middle ground has disappeared and, and people are on either end with the perspective of I'm right and, and you're wrong. We are groaning under the weight of a political environment that's heavy. What about our brothers and sisters in Lebanon? an area of the world that is already electrically charged, not wholly stable, and they endure this massive explosion, creating additional unrest, and the people are groaning. What about the racial tensions under which we're groaning? People of color have been groaning for centuries over racism and is still present today. All of creation is groaning. And what about the, the individual and maybe even private and personal groanings? Maybe it's a, a strained relationship, a medical diagnosis, financial concerns, some, some bitterness, some anger. All of creation is groaning. And what are we to do with this groaning? I remember well the, a morning nearly 20 years ago. We were living in Earliesville. I was pastoring a church there. And 
I was reading the local paper, paper, the Charlottesville Daily Progress, you know, back in the day when you actually held a paper to, to get your news. And I was reading through the sports section, and a story caught my eye because it was out of Duplin County, North Carolina. Duplin County was close to where Paul and I lived when we were in Wilmington. Duplin County was probably 45 minutes away from us, but it was also the place my sister lived. She still lives there today. And so I read, I read this article, and it told, gave the account of a high school senior who the night before was playing football. And he suffered a, a cardiac concussion. It's one of those rare instances where the heart receives a blow at the exact moment that it is firing. And this young man died on the field. And so I kept reading, and they named this high school senior Will Johnson. And so that, that took me back to, to the recesses of my memory when we had been living in Wilmington. And, and there was one week where uh, our nephew, Daniel, my sister's oldest son, and some friends stayed with us during the week because they were attending a basketball camp at UNCW, close to where we lived. And I was trying to remember, was one of these friends named Will? I, and and I, I couldn't, couldn't bring it up, so I picked up the phone and I called my sister. I said, Cynthia, this is going to be a strange question, but I'm reading an article in my paper this morning that tells of something that occurred last night in Duplin County, and a boy named Will Johnson died. And she just groaned and began crying. She didn't have the words. And I didn't even have to ask the question. The Johnson family was groaning. And a groan like that never completely goes away. Paul is sharing with us an image of creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I'm going to admit that I'm stepping out of my depth with this imagery as it relates to the pains of childbirth. Yes, I, I was in the room when our three children were born. I was there, but I don't fully understand. I don't fully know what that was like, what those pains are like to give birth to a child. That's the tension that Paul is wanting us to live within. That creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So this Christian life that we are living is within the realm of a not yet still to be redeemed world. There is this world that, that is still covered in sin and imperfection, so it is groaning, yet it is continually surrounded by the love of God. And so there is this tension of this world that needs to be transformed and, and God has provided the means for that transformation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And it is through that life, death, and resurrection that we have the means to emerge from this groaning that we can be redeemed and we can be transformed. That's the tension that Paul has us living in. And how do we get there? Verse 24. For in this hope, We were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Now this is really good theology here on Paul's part. Because he's saying that we are saved through hope, but nobody's seen it. None of us have seen that hope. We have experienced it. And you can't really hope for something you already have. You hope for what you've not seen. We hope for this experience that we have as Christians through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That transformation. Because what's embedded in the Christian perspective ever since its beginning is hope. And hope remains a central founding characteristic of the Christian life. And so Paul is sharing with us how it is that in the midst of this groaning we are to strain forward. Strain forward for this hope that we experience as people of faith. This hope we want to grab hold of and fully experience. How is it that we do that? That's the tough part. Straining forward towards that hope. And Paul says we do it with patience. Now, you don't need to out yourself. You certainly don't need to out anyone near you. But be honest. Are you patient or are you impatient? And patience is more than a disgruntled resignation to the passing of time. That this too shall pass. Kind of that, oh, when are we going to get through this? That's part of what we considered a couple of weeks ago when we were in the book of Jeremiah. And the Israelite people had gone into Babylonian exile and they weren't adjusting. And they had this, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be done? That they weren't transitioning, that they weren't settling in because they just wanted it to pass. There was this just dispassionate resignation of when is this going to be over? And so God spoke up quickly through the prophet Jeremiah and said, you know what? You need to settle in. You need to build houses. You need to plant gardens. You need to to marry off your daughters. You need to have your sons take wives. You need to have children. You need to have grandchildren. You need to grow in number because this is going to last 70 years. So settle in. And that's what Paul is referring to here. That patience is not a disgruntled resignation to just muddling through. In fact, the, the word that that Paul uses for wait for wait is widely accepted to have a note of eagerness. 
of an expected and enthusiastic expectation. So maybe it should be, if we hope for what we do not yet see, then with steady patience, we maintain an eager expectation. Because while we are in the midst of a groaning creation, Paul wants us to know that it's not about what is. It's about what's to become. Take a look. So this is really all your fault. You destroyed everything. Yes. And each day since the Lorax left, I've sat here regretting everything I've done. Staring at that word. Unless. And wondering what it meant. But now I'm thinking. Well, maybe you're the reason the Lorax left that word there. Me? Why would he leave that for me? Because unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. The last Trubula Seed. You need to plant it, Ted. Yeah, but nobody cares about trees anymore. Then make them care. Plant the seed in the middle of town where everyone can see. Change the way things are. I know it may seem small and insignificant, but it's not about what it is. It's about what it can become. That's not just a seed. Any more than you're just a boy. won't let you down. I know. It's not about what it is. It's about what it will become. And that's what Paul is laying out for us here. It's not about the circumstances we find ourselves in. Because there is groaning. It's about what we'll become. Because God is not sitting idly by in the midst of this groaning. God is fully aware of the groaning. In fact, God is present with us in the midst of groaning. And this is how it's expressed. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. See, when Jesus, after His resurrection, ascended back to heaven, He told His followers, He said, I'm going to send an advocate. Advocate is the Holy Spirit. Someone who works on your behalf. 
It's what an advocate does. And so Paul is connecting us here to the Spirit because in the midst of that groaning, in the midst of wordless groaning, the Spirit intercedes. Have you had those occasions in life when the words just wouldn't come? When you not only did not know what to say, but you had nothing to say. That's when the Spirit intercedes and connects us with God. You know, on that night 20 years ago when Will Johnson passed away, the night of that game, the Johnson family had the team over to their home. They'd been struggling, the team had been struggling a little bit, not doing well, so they had a pregame meal to try to bring a morale boost to the team. And after the, the meal, Will's mother, Luann, she gave an impassioned speech to the team. She shared with them tragedy that their family had already experienced. And the pain that went with that tragedy just encouraged them, said, you know, you need to live each moment in life to the fullest because you never know what the next moment will bring. No truer words the Johnson family for their moment came but a few hours later on that football field Johnson's are a family of deep faith and in the midst of that tragedy it became an opportunity for them to share the gospel because in the midst of that groaning they were willing to wait patiently with an eager expectation of what will become of straining forward making room for hope for is that hope that draws us forward there's no better description than the 28th verse I didn't read it earlier. It's not going to be on the screen for you. But this is what it says. For all things work together for good. For those that love God. For those that are called according to His purpose. For all things work together for good. Does that mean all things are good? No. The death and tragedy that came to the Johnson family, that was not good. The pandemic we find ourselves in, that's not good. The racial injustice in our country, that's not good. Conflict around the globe in other countries, that is not good. Verse 28 is not saying that all circumstances are good. What it is saying is that within all circumstances, God can bring about good. And that's why in the midst of groaning, in the midst of our living within a still yet to be redeemed world, 
God has provided a way of transformation, a way that we can focus not on what is, but what is to become, and that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. For God hears and understands our groaning. And we have to strain forward with a sense of expectation and hope. Because within all circumstances, God will bring about good. And that's a hope we have got to cling to. As the band comes up to lead us in our final song, let this be an opportunity as we sing for us each to be thinking not only about the the broad groaning that's taking place within creation and our world, a groaning that affects each of us, but may it also be an opportunity for us to consider the groaning that may even be more personal than private and what we're going to do with that groaning. The song we're about to sing is going to speak to that. So as we sing together, may it be a time of reflection for who we are individually and who we are collectively that indeed we can grab hold of and live in with an eager expectation for the hope of what we can become. Let's stand together.